0: Well, good morning, everyone. (coughs) Uh, You'll have to excuse me. I'm at the tail end of a cold, and you know how you're still, you feel fine, but you're just all stuffed up. So I'll try not to make too many gross noises while I'm up here. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 3. John chapter (coughs) 3. In our world today, and in what calls itself Christianity or Evangelicalism, much is made about this phrase "born again." Uh, We hear that phrase even before I was a Christian. I heard that phrase, and uh, growing—you know—growing up, uh, I grew up Roman Catholic, and we all assumed that we were already Christians. You're born again by being baptized, and uh... even upon coming out of that uh... once i was no longer a catholic i decided to call myself a born-again christian because well that's what all the other christians are calling themselves uh... and it seems to be a very popular thing if you want to get credibility in the christian world or at least among christians start calling yourself a born-again christian uh... lately i think uh... people like kanye west have come out claiming to be born-again christians again not judging them or their testimony or anything like that, but it does draw attention. Jimmy Carter, for example, another one, claimed to be a born-again Christian, got a lot of evangelicals excited because that phrase uh, means something very significant. However, it is often a phrase that is thrown around. We usually don't know what it means, and many people who attribute it to themselves demonstrate that they are anything but born again. But though this uh, phrase is often misused, thrown around, it is a very important thing. There's a very important teaching on it that the Lord Jesus gives us. In fact, it is a very necessary thing to understand, but not only understand, but to experience. As we'll read here, being born again is not just something that the super christians do it's not just an extra title that you can claim for yourself that will show you to be super spiritual but born again being born again is a very necessary thing in fact that is the very first step in our christian lives so uh, and that's what this passage this text is on so john chapter 3 i'll read uh, probably the first 21 verses in this chapter we'll pray and we'll get on with our message Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, as some translations may put it, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen. And you do not accept our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I told you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and that men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are indeed thankful for this time that we have together to Read from your word, the words of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and this very important and crucial truth that we all must be faced with, this reality that we must be born again if we are to enter into your kingdom. We're thankful that many of us, most of us, if not all of us, can gather together and affirm that you have done, indeed done this work in our lives. But we would pray for those who have uh, have been coming here who may not know you, who may not have experienced this new birth, who have a picture of religion, who go through the motions and yet have not yet experienced your saving work. We pray that you give us understanding in this time. We pray that you would bless this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> All right, so we go back to chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 1 of this chapter. Uh, This takes place, this discourse takes place fairly early on in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, at this point in time, is in Jerusalem, and he had just done a a very amazing sign when he had cleared the temple. Uh, Jesus, twice during his ministry, clears out the temple, clears out those who are uh, there selling, uh, who had turned the temple into a place of trade, And he clears it out uh, in order to resume its normal function as a house of prayer. And this had drawn many challenges from the leaders at that time. They had asked him, on what authority do you do these things? Or what sign do you show us as your authority? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he is speaking, of course, of the temple of his body. So Jesus had raised up quite a commotion. He is the talk of the town. If Twitter had existed in those days, Jesus would be trending, right? Um, But everyone knew who Jesus was. Everyone had heard those words. Here's this new teacher doing these outlandish things, and he is performing many signs, and we read in verse 23 that many believed in his name when they saw his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he had no need that anyone bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in a man. So there, here's the picture. Jesus had performed many signs, and many people are flocking to him, and yet Jesus has not entrusted himself to them. And why is that? Because he knew the heart of men. Later on, we see a similar picture in John chapter 6, where the multitudes that Jesus had fed, uh, the 5,000, right? He feeds them bread and fish. Jesus goes to the other side. And then they begin once again to flock to Jesus. And Jesus says to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, you come to me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled.'" So they're coming to Jesus not for spiritual life, but to benefit from these miracles that he's performing. Uh, And Jesus knows this because he knows the heart of men. And uh, so Jesus knows the heart of men, needing no one to bear witness concerning that. And he knows these things because, of course, he is indeed God. John has already laid this out in the beginning for us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the minds and the intentions of all men. And after saying this, we read that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. So Jesus is in Jerusalem, performing many signs, raising uh, quite the havoc among the religious officials, and here comes a man of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisee party was... Uh, They were part of the religiously elite, the religiously conservative. They were the ones who believed in the resurrection. They they believed in the entirety of the canon of the Old Testament scriptures. This was a contrast to the Sadducees who rejected many of these elements. And the Pharisees were the popular teachers of those days. Uh, They were the ones who upheld the law. And in fact, they put many barriers around the law to keep people from even breaking the law. So when you think of holy people in that day, they would have thought Pharisees. In popular culture, whenever they want a religious person, they'll put someone with uh, uh, a religious garb on or uh, something along those lines. But in those days, the holy people, the ones who know uh, the things about God are the Pharisees. And Nicodemus is a ruler of the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus says that he is the teacher of Israel. So he's very high up. Uh, in the rankings of the Pharisees. He would be uh, one of the great teachers of the day, along with a man like Gamaliel, whom the Apostle Paul had learned under. Uh, But Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus by night. And it's a rather interesting thing where that John points this out, uh, because there are many reasons why Nicodemus would not want to go to Jesus. For example, Jesus had already challenged the religious officials in that day. He had cleared out the temple. And later on, the Pharisees would show themselves to be the number one opponents of the Lord Jesus during his ministry. It is the Pharisees who first began plotting to put Jesus to death. And yet, here is Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Uh, We don't exactly know why yet, but we know that he comes by night. And this can mean a number of things. Perhaps he came by night uh, because that is when all the religious discussions took place. After the uh, heat of the day, the religious teachers get together and begin to discuss and debate. Perhaps one of the reasons he came by night is because he wanted to avoid having anyone see him going to Jesus. uh, Because here is the ruler of the Jews, the teacher of the Jews, well, who can the teacher of the Jews, the ruler of the Jews, go to to receive instructions? Uh, it would be quite telling if a, the leader of a religious institution, uh, had to rely on someone else, someone viewed as an outsider in order to receive sp- uh, uh, spiritual truths. But John also uses night to describe night and darkness to describe the state of the soul. I think of Judas, when Judas had gone out after Jesus had said, whatever you're planning on doing, do quickly. And immediately after Jesus departs, it is night. And perhaps it is a combination of all these things as to why Nicodemus came by night. But something that we do know of Nicodemus is that Uh, Though he is coming to Jesus, he at this point in time is not yet a follower of Jesus. Though he is a religious teacher, he is a man who does not know the Lord. Though he is a man who probably knows a great number of facts regarding the scriptures, does not know the basics of what it means to enter into the kingdom of God. So here is Nicodemus coming to Jesus And he says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So this is one of the early verdicts. Nicodemus is perhaps speaking on behalf of the rest of the Pharisees, uh, those who had sent him. And there's something that is clear about Jesus that is undeniable, that there is a power that is working through him that must come from God. Because no one can do these signs unless God is with him. It's interesting that this verdict would later change. Later on in the Gospels, uh, the Pharisees would say, well, he does this by the power of Satan. But early on, at least, they recognize that God is at work in this man, Jesus. They might not have had the full story, but they know that this is someone that we need to take seriously. And perhaps that is why Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. Who else is the teacher of Israel going to go to but the one who has come from God? So we know that you come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered And said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And notice something interesting. Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus, did not ask a question. And yet we see Jesus answering a question that he had. And I think this has to do with what is said regarding Jesus knowing the hearts of men. That's what the statement Nicodemus has. Uh, Yes, he acknowledges Jesus comes from God, but I think this is perhaps indicative of something that is on the heart of Nicodemus. Nicodemus has this concern. He has these questions regarding the kingdom of God, and it perhaps has to do with the fact that Nicodemus knows he is missing something. With all his uh, religiosity, with all of his sacrifices that he offers, with all the prayers that he prays, with all the praise of the crowds that he receives, he knows that he is missing something. And perhaps that is why Jesus answers and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus wondering, how is it that one enters the kingdom of God? Jesus says you must be born again. And this is a shocking answer, uh, especially when we consider the religion of the day. The, Jewish, uh, the Judaism at the time of Jesus was a very works-based system. One knew that they were saved, or one knew that they belonged to the kingdom of God because of their performance, because of how well they cooperated, because of how well they followed the law and the traditions of the elders. That is what they stood on, the fact that we were born to Abraham, uh, therefore we belong to God, we follow the law of God, therefore we belong to God. And Nicodemus... would have been the poster child of all of this, being the ruler of the Jews. But now, when he is asking Jesus, okay, I've done all these things, what else is there that I must do if I am to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus had some understanding of what was going on. He begins to ask, now hold on a second, how can a man be born when he is old? This isn't Nicodemus' misunderstanding. Uh, Nicodemus didn't think that, oh, I, do I need to go back into my mother and be born again? No. He's wondering, how is it that this is brought about, right? Can I enter into my mother's womb and be born uh, again a second time? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. For the works-based religion, this is a tremendous challenge. Because what Jesus is saying is not something that Nicodemus himself can accomplish. You must be born again. Now, let me ask a question. When you were born the first time, what did you have to do with it? Right. Uh, Were you in the womb and all of a sudden decide, you know what, Uh, now seems to be a good time. You know, December 21st, 1994, that's the day Uh, I'm going to be born. I'm going to enter into this world. No. What did we have to do with being born the first time? Nothing. Nothing. God is the one who creates life. Our mother's the one who carries us along. We are born as things come about. God is the one who brings that about. We have nothing to do with it. And in the same way, with this new birth, we likewise have nothing to do with it. Other than the fact that we are the one who experiences it. And that's when Nicodemus is wondering. Perhaps he came wondering, now what must I do? And the answer is... You can't do anything. You must be born again. Something must happen to you, but it is not something that you yourself can do. And Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, And that which is born of spirit is spirit. And this is the contrast that Jesus makes. This isn't something that you can bring about through your works or through your actions. The flesh can only produce flesh, right? That which is born of flesh is flesh. If you are to receive this spiritual birth, it must come from the spirit, Uh, in John, uh, earlier on in John's gospel, we read something similar in John chapter 1, verse 12, when we read, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So how is it that you become a child of God? You must be born of God. This is not something that happens through the flesh. This is not something that happens through human effort. This is not something that happens because someone else bestows it on you. That's the point that is made. Those who are born not of blood, so that would be who you are born to. You do not become a Christian because you are born to Christian parents. That's an understanding that many people have, right? Uh, Nor the will of the flesh, so not through my own human effort, I don't become a Christian because I go and follow the right steps and do the right things in order to become a Christian, nor the will of man. So it's not someone else who comes and bestows this right on me. No one can come along and say uh, a prayer before me and say, okay, now you belong to God because I have designated you as a child of God. No, to be born of God, it must come from God. Those who are born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Flesh cannot produce this. Flesh cannot bring this about. This is something that God must bring about in you. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Jesus says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this is not something that is a new teaching that Jesus is bringing about. In fact, I believe that this is a reference to an old teaching, a promise that God makes. This concept of rebirth or regeneration is not new to Jesus, but it is something that everyone who has ever entered the kingdom of God has experienced. Everyone who ever will enter the kingdom of God will experience. And this is an experience that God has promised that he will bring about for his people. And we can find one of those promises in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 We read in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says Yahweh, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you have come. I will prove the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh, when I prove myself holy in your sight. So God is saying to the people of Israel, I'm about to do something, but I'm not doing it because you deserve it. This morning we read from Deuteronomy how God is saying to the people, I'm not doing this because you deserve it. I'm not doing this because you're better than anyone else. I'm doing it because of me. Uh, I'm doing it for my great name which you have profaned among the nations and that's what God is saying and he says and I will prove myself holy in the sight of the nations by what I am going to do to you and this is what I'm going to do I will take you from the nations I will gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land and then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to do my judgments. This is what Jesus is speaking about regeneration, rebirth, this work that God does in the heart of man where he takes a heart of stone, removes it, replaces it with a heart of flesh, where he takes a man who is bound and determined, walking in rebellion, and he now makes him into his own child. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, this is what must happen. This is the basics. This is Christianity 101, if we might uh, use, use our own terms for it. This is uh, the very foundation that everything else is built off of in the Christian life. You must be born again. And this is not something that you do, Nicodemus. We don't, get, we don't simply decide to be born again. Becoming a Christian isn't just simply turning over a new leaf, right? Or deciding to take, apart, take on a new philosophy. If we're a Christian, if you are a Christian, it is because of a supernatural work Of God in your heart. And Jesus is saying, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Again, because this isn't a new thing. This isn't something that, uh, this isn't a novel thing. This is something that Nicodemus should have known about. This has been the experience of God's people throughout the ages. And then he goes on to give us an analogy for this new birth. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And this is the analogy that Jesus is is bringing up. I wonder if at this point in time in the conversation, if a breeze didn't go through, and Jesus says, do you feel that? Well, what do you feel? The wind. Now, let me ask a question. Has anyone in here seen wind? No? No. We don't see the wind, do we? But what do we see? We see the effects of wind. We can feel the effect of wind. We can look outside and see wind blowing through the trees. Hopefully this week we can get some of that wind because it's going to be a miserable week. Uh, We saw a tremendous effect of wind several years ago when the duration went through, right? Wind can be a very powerful thing. But we do not see the wind. And similarly, we don't have control over the wind. Can I, can I go out with a, a jar and catch a jar of wind to be able to use uh, however I please? No, I have no control over the wind. But what we do see is the effect of the wind. When the wind blows through, we know it. And Jesus is saying, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now let's bring this to the analogy. If we're a Christian in here, let me ask you a question. Have you seen the Holy Spirit? with your eyes? No. Did did you hear the Holy Spirit come and, and tell you you're, you're now a Christian, audibly? Probably not. But what do we see? We see the effect of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I think back to when I first became a Christian, and I'm thinking about uh, those sinful desires that I had, those things that I loved, and I'm, I'm turning away, and I'm, I'm starting to change my mind on how I think about them, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm catching myself saying things that I shouldn't be saying, and it's like, I don't want to say those things anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. Why is that, right? It's because of the work of the Spirit in me. It, did that come from me? No. Flesh can only produce flesh, but Spirit produces Spirit, I did not see the Holy Spirit when he came and changed me. He didn't come and tell me. But what do I see? I see the results. And it's the same with all of us. If you have encountered the Holy Spirit, we know that because of the results. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is something that is seen. Now, uh, we can recognize the results in our own life, but I think a place where we really see those changes is in our interactions with others. Now, after you became a Christian, how many of your relatives thought you went crazy, right? We've all experienced that because what? They're seeing something different, and they're wondering why is all of a sudden uh, this person I knew so well acting so differently, Why is it that they no longer think along the same lines? Why is it that the things we used to like to go out and do, why don't they like doing those things anymore, those sinful things? I'm not saying we have to stop doing things that we enjoy, but these sinful practices that I used to enjoy with this person, why does he no longer enjoy them with me? Why is he suddenly talking about God and righteousness in Christ? What happened? And, of course... Uh, They always want to blame a cult or a church or, oh, they're filling your mind with all kinds of craziness, but we know the result. We know uh, what the answer is, the work of the Spirit. We can't see that. We can't control it, right? I uh, I didn't get to set the time in which the Spirit would enter into my life, but guess what? I can see the results of what the Spirit has done, and I think we can all relate to that. Uh, The wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Now, this kind of thinking is completely contrary to the religious mindset that Nicodemus had. For those who view religion as the set of things that you must do in order to be made right with God, this would be completely contrary. If me being right with God, if me being a child of God is determined on how well I walk in whatever religions program I am in, then yes, this would be extremely contrary. Because look at Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, a ruler of the Jews. He had done everything right his entire life as far as he was concerned right he performed all the right sacrifices he followed all the right laws he did all the right things and yet this is something that he did not have and he's asking how can this be and jesus is saying you should know these things are you not the teacher of israel and do not know these things and why should he know these things because this is how it has always been with the people of god Right, And this is the thing that was promised by God for his people, as we'd already read in Ezekiel. This is something that Nicodemus should have known. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, and yet you do not accept our witness. And uh, it is very hard for one who is religiously minded to, who is works-minded, who views their salvation as something that they bring about to accept the fact that this is purely a gift of grace. And Nicodemus, at least at this point, it seems, is not accepting it. Jesus is saying, we speak of these things that we know, and we bear witness of what we have seen, and yet you do not accept it. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe... How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And what Jesus is saying is, if I'm telling you this basic thing about the kingdom of God that happens here, how is it that you, if, and you're not unwilling to accept that, how is it that we can get any deeper? How is it that we can talk about what ki- life in the kingdom is going to be like? How is it that we can talk about what the end is going to be like? If you're not even willing to accept this basic fundamental reality that you must be born again. He goes on and says, No one who has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. How is it that Jesus knows this? Well, Nicodemus was pretty close. You're a teacher from God. Jesus knows this because he came down from heaven. He is speaking from God. This isn't just the opinion of one of the earthly teachers. This isn't just uh, earthly wisdom that he came up with over his studies. He knows this because he came down from heaven to tell us the truth and to reveal these things to us. And yet Nicodemus does not accept this. Verse 14 goes on. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even the son of man will be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So how does God bring this about, right? We we talk about the working of the Spirit. We talk about these things, but there is also a means in which God brings this about. How is it that God can take a sinner? The wages of sin is death, right? Uh, God is not sending the Son into a neutral world where there will be some who go good and some who go bad. The son was sent into a wicked world where we are all under the judgment of God. So, on what basis can God freely take people, regenerate us, and bring us into His kingdom? Well, Jesus hints at it here. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the son of wilderness uh, serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And Jesus is referring to a story in Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, during the time of the people of Israel in the wilderness. <clears throat> in Numbers chapter 21, we read of how the people of Israel complained and rebelled against God. And then, as a result of this, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the, te- among the people so that they bit the people, and many people of Israel died. And again, what's that show? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And here is God granting that death, those wa- that wages of sin, to the people in the wilderness. The people then came to Moses and said, We've sinned because we have spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray to Yahweh that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Then Yahweh said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it will be that everyone who is bitten looks at it and will live. And Moses made a, serp- a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it happened that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So this is the picture an Israelite. Complained against God, the wages of sin is death. A serpent comes, give him, gives him exactly what is due to him. He is dying, there's nothing that he can do. And yet, God has said, This is what you are to do. Look to that serpent, that picture of your sin, and believe on the Lord, and you will be saved. Right? It's all a gift from God, it's all by his grace, and that's what God does. That's what all the scriptures are about. God pouring out his grace on us. And how does he do it? He does it through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the lifting up of the Son of God. Just as the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And yes, we we hear the the phrase lifted up. It does speak of his glorification. It does speak of his exaltation, but... In John's gospel, that phrase, lifted up, has a very specific meaning. And it's a meaning that the people in that day would have known. Just as the serpent was lifted up on a pole, the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross. So that those who look to him, receiving what is due to their sins, and believing in him, they will have eternal life. This is the means by which God brings these things about, right? And it's almost paradoxical, right? The working of the Spirit, the moving of the Spirit, he comes and goes as he pleases, and yet God says, and this is how he does it. People will look to the Son as he is lifted up, believing in him, and will have eternal life. This is the promise that we are given, right? I can't make myself become born again, That's something that God must do, but I know what God has told me to do, and he has told me to look to the Son, and on what basis can I know that I'm saved from my sins? Because of what God has done through Jesus, and how can I know that I will receive uh, what God has promised me? Because Jesus says, those all who behold the Son and believe in him will have eternal life. So why does God do this? Well, the answer is here. For God so loved the world, or he loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It all flows from God and from his great love, which he has for us. If, we, if you know your own heart, If you know your own condition, this should be a shocking phrase, for God so loved. Because what is lovable in us? Remember, God did not send his son into a neutral world where there are some who are good and some who are bad and it's the good ones who are saved. No, God sent his son into a wicked, rebellious, sinful world, a cursed world in which the wages of sin is death. And yet, God So loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he who believes in him is not judged. But he who who does not believe has been judged already, Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So like I said, God sent his son into a world full of judged men. The wages of sin is death. God could have freely let us go and he would not have been wrong. He would not have been unjust in doing so. In fact, it would have been perfectly just to give each and every one of us exactly what is due to our sin. And that's why he says here, the world has been judged already and incur greater judgment because they have not believed in the only begotten son of God, but he who believes in him is not judged. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as being having been done by God. And once again, John is saying, uh, "He who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been done by God." Why is it that we come to the light? Well, we can give any number of answers, right? We recognize our need, we recognize our sin, we recognize that Christ is the Savior, we recognize that is our only hope, and yet we come to the light and God then points at us and says, this has been manifested by God. It is something ultimately wrought by God. The people in John chapter 6 come to Jesus and they're asking him, what must we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of the Father that you believe on him whom he has sent. What an amazing truth. What an amazing thing to experience. What an amazing thing to recognize. The salvation, the salvation that we enjoy, the salvation that we have. Purely a gift from God's grace. Not because we are worthy of it. Not because we've done anything to uh, merit it. Not because we can do anything to merit it. Here's Nicodemus. If salvation were by works, then Nicodemus would have it in the bag. The teacher of Israel. Ruler of Israel. Probably has more scripture memorized than this entire church combined. And yet he did not have this basic elemental truth because of the reality that Jesus teaches elsewhere regarding the rich man. How hard is it for a rich man to enter into heaven? And uh, again, it's easy for us to think of rich people as bad people. In those days, if you are rich, it means you are blessed by God. And Jesus is saying, how hard is it for a man blessed in so many ways by God is it to enter into heaven? And that causes the disciples to say, well, if it's hard for them, what chance do I have? And Jesus says, you're right, it's impossible for man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But with God, all things are possible. That is the salvation which we enjoy. That is the salvation which we have. And that is the call that is for all those who have not yet received that salvation. Again, I can't make anyone born again. You can't make yourself born again. If you have not experienced this, this is not something that you go out and get. This is not something that you do. But God has told us what we are to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. God has given us that that great assurance that if we look to the Son and believe in Him, we will have eternal life. And what an amazing reality it is that when we come to the light, we can look back and recognize that these deeds have been manifested and have been done by God. What a great and marvelous salvation that we have. What a great and marvelous gift that we receive. And if you have not yet received it, my prayer is that this very day, this very hour, you would recognize the Son, you would recognize Him as your only hope. You would turn to Him in faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for this time that we have together to consider your son the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in him. We are so thankful that you have considered us worthy to enter into the kingdom of God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you have done. Not because we're born to the right people, not because we did the right things not because the right people came and prayed over us or anything like that, but because of your Holy Spirit working in our lives, bringing about regeneration through faith. Our Father, I pray that we would live in light of this great salvation that you have given us. I pray that when people look at us, they would recognize that the Spirit has done something in this person. I pray that as we would go out into this world, we would recognize that, that I am no longer what I was, but I am a new creation. And I pray that we would always give all the glory and the praise to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross to die for our sins, who rose again from the dead, and is now seated at your right hand forever. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.